You know, when you're reading the Bible, and in the original languages, when it repeats a word, it's more significant than simple repetition. When there's a word repeated in the Bible, it's meant to show us that there's something of extraordinary significance that is being stated. So for instance, when Jesus says something like, truly, truly, in essence, we should know, prepare to have your minds blown right now. Prepare for something extraordinary. You know, there's only one word in the Bible, though, that's repeated three times. It's given in a picture in the prophetic visions in the Bible. And then culminating on that vision that John saw on the island of Patmos, he records the apocalyptic things happening in the book of Revelation. He sees throngs of angels, multitudes of angels, in this ever exhilarating moment, looking on Jesus. And the only word that would suffice for eternity is holy, holy, holy. They never get tired. They never get bored. In fact, they're further exhilarated by the overwhelming presence of Jesus who is way beyond what we're normally capacitated to to be prepared for. Holy. Let's be careful how we approach him and how we approach his word. You know, Jesus has some really brilliant ideas, but he's more than just a teacher. And he can direct your life a lot better than you can. Can anybody say amen? Amen. A lot better than anyone can, but he's more than just a leader. He is holy. There's these two women recorded in Luke that approached him a little bit differently, and it makes all the difference how you devote yourself to him when you approach him. Listen in. Verse 38 of Luke 10. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? Accusing the Lord Jesus. Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord Jesus answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, and it will not be taken away from her. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Thank you, God. Thank you for your word. Lord, help us to choose the good portion. It will not be taken away from us, God. You said, what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And we say, nothing. Lord, allow us to make the opposite exchange, to approach your holiness and forfeit everything else except gaining you. And in that we have everything because you are the great treasure, Jesus. You are the pearl of greatest price. And Lord, as we look upon all the important things that we're supposed to concern ourselves with, there is one thing that is necessary. And Lord, we are praying that you would do a miraculous and historical work right here. 
in our hearts that you would consecrate us, make us holy as you are holy. And Lord, in answering that prayer, how many more prayers would you be answering for the cries of this city and the nations? Lord, here we are. We dare to say, have your way in us. Have your way, Lord Jesus. If you can dare to agree with me, you can say amen. Amen. I love that. I see a lot of amens there. As the worship team is making their way down, can you give them a hand and say thank you in your own way? As you're finding your seat, we're going to proceed forward. I want you to just preach to your neighbor. Remember, you're helping me preach. Say, deeper root, greater fruit. Come on, say it with some conviction. You can say, deeper root, greater fruit. I'm feeling some conviction up here, right in here. Deeper root. Come on, is this the shy service? That was supposed to be the 9 a.m. service. Come on, deeper root. Come on, greater fruit. Thank you. Come on, somebody. Now, we're taking a three-week break from Genesis, and I promise we are going to uh, be able to finish the book of Genesis by the end of the year as planned, but we're taking a three-week break for a series called Radical, colon, deeper root, semicolon, greater fruit, okay? That's important. The punctuation's anointed too, okay? Now, full disclosure up front. You guys okay with full disclosure? means I'm going to be ridiculously honest with you. This series was prompted by a building opportunity that we've been praying for for years, uh, but God has just made it available for us now. And so we have an opportunity to buy this building that we've been renting for years, and it's prompted the timing of this series. But I want you to stick with me. It's prompted the timing of this series, but what God is wanting to been, to, has been wanting to do in this series and through this series in your heart and in my heart, radically, eternally, deeply, profoundly, strangely, unusually, has been constant for a long time. I just think it, that he is opportuned on a building need to go through that and go deeper with all of us. Now, we're going to go there in a minute, but I, I think it's necessary for me to share with you just a little bit more about the, the doings of this building deal, and then I'll share with you from there where I want to go. So here's what happened. This summer, um, as we were investing in getting this cool new sign and a few different things, and as I had the thought come across my head this summer that soon we would be the Springs on Springtown Way, I once again felt urges in my own anxieties, really. Urges to call the building owner that we've been renting from and bring that purchase of the building back to the forefront. We're going to do it this time. And uh, just as ever so aggressively as, as I'd been in years past, and every time I'd pick up my phone, I would get an urge, a, a louder voice than my anxiety uh, from the Holy Spirit saying, Peter, put your phone down. Wait. So I obeyed, which was good for me. That's, that's not always the case. I obeyed the leading of the Holy Spirit, and I put the phone down, and I kid you not, two days after we changed the name of our church, when we were all in, when we announced it, when the sign was going up, and we couldn't get our deposit back on it, 
I got a call from the, the building owner, and he said the, the building is now temporarily available for purchase. And that temporarily part, I didn't like. See, I had a plan to, to go through the whole next year preparing for this moment. But no, we, we only have an option period of about two months. And I'll tell you the story about how that went down. When I talked to the building owner, we tentatively agreed on a price. Now, he's from out of town, and uh, the, the discussion of the price was precipitated by all my research of uh, tax value. It's public record, and I'd researched what the tax value is, the taxed, assessed value of this building, and we came to an agreement on a price. And when I went from there to work with a banker and do some initial feasibility, that's when I learned the difference between tax-assessed value and appraised market value. And in that moment, I realized that the price that we had agreed on was about 50-something percent of its actual market value here. Okay, please don't tweet that or anything for obvious reasons. We haven't closed on the, the building yet. But the banker that I talked to that was working with us, he said, get a written real estate contract done in writing to the title company right away. And that's what we did. On Monday, we turned in a, a real estate contract. And uh, if by early December, we have the down payment of $68,000, we will be, get to uh, close on this building at the start of next year. And... Um, that's the, that's the opportunity that we can seize upon or forfeit with those terms. And of course, in my mind, after some mentoring and some prayer and discussion among the, the leadership, the elders and the board, we feel like this is an opportunity to seize upon. And for a few different reasons. Uh, number one is that rooted security. If we have a rooted security in having valuable land uh, with a valuable location in our name. Um, imagine what that would be like for the ministry in our church. Imagine if we didn't have to wonder about uh, where our regular ongoing efforts, like Sunday mornings and our bread and butter things, like, like establish and equip. Imagine if in the next five to ten years we didn't have to necessarily wonder where those are going to be. If rooted here, we could be wondering about other things, like what new places to go, what new churches to plant? What new pregnancy resourcing centers to establish? What new campuses to reach? If rooted, we could be wondering more about new fruit to bear. Number two, I think we should do this deal because it's impossible. Impossible. I said that right. I mean, seriously, $68,000 by the end of the year, on top of regular tithes and offerings that we already collect to do regular ministry stuff, um, it's impossible. And you might be saying, okay, Pastor Peter, you're making sense here, but I think you're, tr- you're making the wrong point. No, I'm actually making the right point here. It's impossible. And therefore, we would need God to demonstrate his power, his supernatural power in all of us, and not just the rich people like me. In all of us. And honestly, guys, in, in the church of a living God, the living God, I think anything less than impossible should merit our, you know, our collective suspicion, okay? It's impossible. Reason two. Now, reason three is just a basic ministry reason. I mean, if we, when we close on this property, then starting early next year, uh, we're, our building expenses will be drastically reduced, and that means that we'll have more resource to aggressively invest in missions unto the campus, the community, and the world. In other words, we'll be able to invest more in the fruit of what we've seen 
in human lives. Now, if I sound like a salesman up on this platform in my suit that's warm today on a cold day, right? If I sound like a salesman, I hope I sound like an effective salesman. Because God has graciously given us a really good product, and that's you. Seriously, I've traveled around a little bit, and I've seen a lot of different churches. And even factoring in my bias, okay, uh, which has a numerical factor somewhere, even factoring in my bias, I, I could say there's no better people. You are a joy and a delight to the Lord, and you're a delight and a joy to me as a pastor and as a brother in Christ. And you know what? You must be invested in so that people that are currently on the outside of this family can experience the dividends of our investment and come and belong. So as I've said, the timing of this financial building need opportunity thing, I wish I had more control over, but it's a radical adventure, an unexpected thing that I believe God is leading us to and something that I'm calling us to, but something radical he's taking us to. And so for the next three weeks, I want to dig and jump deeply into God's word as he leads us through radical devotion, radical relationship, and radical generosity. Are you ready? Okay, you're ready? Anyone else? We're here? Come on, guys. You got, you got to talk back to me sometimes because I get up here and I get a little nervous. Radical devotion. This story I just read is very peculiar. And it's only uncomfortable to me because I really see myself in it and often in not the right places. It says here, Martha had a sister called Mary, verse 39, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. My prayer for this church is that we would engender an extreme environment that's just strange, that our culture around us says, what is going on with them? An environment where this is the norm. A culture that, even though the culture around us is so ridiculously distracted by every little digital thing that's going on from here to there, and I'll tell you what, if it was hard for Martha and Mary a few thousand years ago to be undistracted in pure devotion to the Lord, then it's every bit as hard for us. And that's why I am praying that when my kids grow up in my home and in this church, there would be a strange and unusual devotion to Jesus, an ability to sit at his feet. It doesn't matter what's happening around us. It doesn't matter what our culture is suffering. It doesn't matter if things get worse than the worst. We are centered on something that speaks louder than everything around us. And it's pervasive and it's subversive over the enemy, no matter what he tries to do. I'm praying that that's just church when my kids grow up. Now, for that to be us, for that to be our culture, I'm going to need God to radically change me. And so will you. And here's why. Because when I see myself, I often see more, more this. Verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. 
And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. It's a good idea to not boss around God like he's a baby. Okay? Verse 41. But the Lord tenderly answered her. I added tenderly. You can see it. He says, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Everyone say, necessary. It's a good word. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. Now, it's scary to consider here that one can actually invite Jesus into one's house and yet nonetheless fail to invite him into their heart. It's kind of like, oh, I'll get him, I'll let him get so close, but man, sex and money? This is a scary thing. Martha was distracted, it says, with much serving. See, I, I like to think, just to Martha's defense, that there was probably other siblings that Martha and Mary had, and uh, they were doing worse distractions, right? They were probably Snapchatting, tweeting, and doing all sorts of silliness. And so, you know, I would like to come to her defense and say, okay, they were worse than Martha. But Jesus doesn't allow us to see those two. He only compares Martha and Mary. And what's hard about this is I see myself here in the wrong part of Scripture. And I'm not talking about my past past. I'm talking about the regular complaints and begrudging attitudes that I've been having with God as I'm serving and saying, God, I'm doing all the good work for you here. What about that other guy over there? He's sitting on his butt. As if Jesus needed me. And I find myself, man, with a tone, scary in its similarity to how Martha addresses Jesus here. And of all the distractions, I think my biggest one is probably the good stuff. You know, it's probably rarely the neutral distractions or even the, the good distractions or the evil distractions, I'm, I'm trying to say. The neutral or the evil stuff aren't as often dangerous to rob your devotion. It's usually the good that robs the great. And that's been kind of the case in my life where I've, in my devotion to Jesus, I've been distracted with much serving. And I've recently come to a breaking point, <sighs> super recently, where I got an email. The Holy Spirit spoke to me in an email from my mother-in-law last weekend and said, Peter, you need to surrender the results of this church to God. It's his church. That's strong right there, isn't it? Just be careful. Whenever you ask God to speak to you, make sure you're willing to receive it right there. That was me. I, I was distracted with much serving. And if you're like me in that area, or if you're anxious about many things, would you go with me to this last verse? One thing is necessary, Jesus says. Mary has chosen the good portion of, and it will not be taken from her. One thing is necessary. Would you repeat that with me? One thing is necessary. It's kind of crazy to think 
that there are things that are super important, important to your family, important to your walk with God, like important good stuff. Did you know that there's important things in your life that aren't necessary? Think about it. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you things in your life that you've been burdened by, things that maybe have been keeping you up at night, things that you, you think about when you're trying to sit at Jesus' feet and hear him. They're important, and they're not necessary. What does that look like in your life? You know, if you go and do good things for Jesus, right? You serve him. You do important things for him. You go to the hardest reach to reach places of the city, homeless shelters. You do all sorts of great stuff for Jesus. You go to the hardest parts of the globe and you're serving him and you're doing good stuff, but you cease to sit at Jesus' feet, to hear his voice, to be tempered by his tenderness, his, his tone even, and his words, to receive his affection, his definition, his affirmation. If you do all that good stuff and you're not doing the necessary thing of sitting at his feet, listen, your blessing to others will become a curse. And your service will become a disservice. And why is that? Because one thing, one thing is necessary. In other words, it's like saying one thing is radical. Okay, the word radical means from the root. That's what the word radical means. So if you think about a tree, for instance, you can cut all the branches, almost all the branches down from a tree, and it will still be alive and continue to bear fruit. And depending on how you prune it, maybe even better than before. But if you mess with the root, you've got problems. Serious problems. It's because one thing is radical. One thing is necessary. And in your life, it's the same way. One thing is radical in your life. And if you're rooted regularly in hearing Jesus' voice and sitting at his feet and being radically reworked by who he says you are and what he says you can do, then all of your important things, the good stuff that you do, will be unwasted and rejuvenated. So do you? Do you regularly sit at his feet and listen to what he says to you in his word? Or, or do you really just only pray when needs or, or opportunities arise? Listen to this from Mark Batterson. He says, when you pray to God regularly, Irregular things happen on a regular basis. You don't need to seek opportunity. You need to seek God. And God will be sure that the right opportunities find you. He goes on to say, God is great. And not just because nothing's too big for him, but because nothing's too small for him. It's insane to think that the same God who is concerned with the right tilt of our planet and rotation, and seasons, and hurricanes. And he's in good control of all those things. He's concerned with the mass of the vast space. And not just, though, concerned about that, 
or even smaller things like, you know, the, the governments like Israel and Palestine warring against each other right now. He's also concerned about looking at you in the face and telling you who you are and whose you are and speaking truth to you, rewiring you, giving you strength, consecrating you, making you like him every day. He can't get enough of you. And too often we think we've had enough of him. And that's how our lives look. One thing is necessary. Let me give you a few basic examples that, to drive this home in our understanding. Think about nutrition. There's a radical element to food as it relates to your body. There are a lot of body functions that are important for survival. Heart's beating, that's kind of important. But if you don't eat food, which is necessary, the other functions of your body won't be able to sustain themselves. What about Jesus and his word? Do we treat him like he is the necessary fuel for our existence? Or are we spiritually malnourished and okay with that? That's an example about radical nutrition. What about radical relationship understanding? Let me ask you a question. Consider your relationship with God. And I'm not talking about how you wish your relationship was with God, but just how it is right now. What if that were how you related to your spouse? How would your marriage be? Would it be good? I mean, maybe for some of us, yes. Uh, Or would would there be some neglect that required some professional couples counseling? Or maybe you're not neglecting God, but when you go to him, is, is he a, an obligation or a joy? I mean, imagine if you go to your spouse, hey, I'm here to be with you. What do you want to say to me? Wow, that's a loving marriage. Often that's, that's me when I'm anxious about many things and distracted by much serving, but that one radical thing One thing is necessary. Now this month, I'm asking you to be careful because we're going to ask you to ask God to help you consider radical sacrifices with your time and with your money. But my concern is is that if we're first not radically driven to a core of rooted devotion, full devotion to Jesus, then, then we, like Martha, are going to grow devoid instead of devoted. We won't have the core of joy that Jesus is wanting to do. And ultimately, your life, when it amounts, if if you could put one word on it, 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 really our life is either one of two things. It's either radical or wasted. I mean, it's the right kind of extremism, radically devoted to God, or wasted. I want to share with you a testimony from David Platt's book, Radical. It's called Radical. He shares a testimony about a teenager in China who aspires to do great things for God. And I hope, family, that we aspire to do impossible things together in the next few weeks. But listen, driven by a core of radical devotion and nothing else, 
See if you can see the key to this young man's power, radical service. He says, I've told my family that I will likely never come back home. I'm going to hard places to make the gospel known, and it's possible that I, I will lose my life in the process. But our families understand. Our moms and dads have been in prison for their faith, and they have taught us that Jesus is worthy of our devotion. Is Jesus worthy of your devotion? Now, if you're like me, your heart and your words and your mind say, yes, he is. Yes, he is. But I wonder for you, like I wonder for me, that if your schedule was the only thing that could answer that question, what would it say? If your wallet, your money, your budget was the only thing that could answer that question on your behalf, what would it say? Is, is Jesus worthy of your devotion? Yes, Lord, let it be. Let us be strange people that sit at your feet and that are driven by a core, a radical power. You know, at one point, Jesus was feeding people miraculously. It was just kind of a day in the life of what he did. He, he would bring dead people back from, from the grave. Anytime that sort of thing happens, you, you're bound to get a few people that wonder what's going on and follow you around a little bit. And... Uh, he had thousands of people, tens of thousands of people following him around. And yet, his burden for radical devotion superseded his sort of megachurch pastor excitement that I'm afraid that I'd probably get in that moment. And he turns to the crowds and starts saying crazy stuff. Like, if you're going to come after me, I want it all. Deny yourself. Sell everything. And the crazy thing is, is what he didn't say after that. He didn't go up to him and be like, okay, but what I really meant when I said that, what? he didn't say that because he meant everything he just said. That's what's crazy about Jesus. He makes me a little bit uncomfortable all the time. Pastor Shad says, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Lord, help us. But when everyone left, as you can imagine they did, except for like 12 dudes, Jesus turns to them and says, hey, are you going to leave me too? And Peter, Peter said, where will we go? You are the one who has the words of eternal life. In essence, Peter's saying, one thing is necessary. You're the only one who has words that, that cause us to understand ourselves, though it remains a mystery who you are. There's so much more here than I'm seeing, but it's so much more, the little bit, than anything else. I would be a poor man if not for the riches that I find in this homeless, itinerant preacher. Where will we go? You're the one who has the words of eternal life. You're the one and no one else worthy of us to sit at your feet and to radically devote ourselves to. And that's how we have true riches. No matter what you're going through, Jesus' words bring glorious context to everything. No matter what you're suffering, that's why there's joy that's not lies, even when it's difficult. You can have delight in darkness. I love what the psalmist says. David says in uh, verse 4 of Psalm 23, 
He says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Because I'm sitting at your feet. I hear your words. I'm affirmed by you. What else could there be? What devil in hell could come against me face to face, scarier than Hollywood could try to make him and cause me to be troubled? I have Jesus right here. Are you walking through any dark moments in life? And are you afraid? Are you fearful? Is he with you? And are you with him? Do you hear him crying out to you and saying, my child, I love you. Can you slow down? Can you stop? Can you sit? Can you just tell? You're so distracted. You're so anxious about so many things. Let me just just tell you what I think about you. Let me just tell you a little bit of what I think about you. You're going to love this. Just stop. Just listen to me. You know, Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. Do you know his voice? Do you read his word? Do you see him illuminate what's clearly more than just some words on a page in a book? You know, Jesus sat at the Father's feet and heard him speak. And at one point he said, uh, he said I can do nothing that I don't see my father doing. And it's crazy because he used present tense. I can do nothing that I don't see my father doing. Present tense because he's always present with the father. Now, are you? Do you seek God? Strangely, strangely enough here, let me just help you answer that question. No. You actually don't, and neither do I. Romans 3, no one seeks God. No, not one. Now look, I'm not trying to completely contradict everything I've already said in my whole message right now. But I'm clearly establishing what God's word says, that unless you are radically sought by the living God, you cannot turn and seek him. But that's the good news, y'all. When you are sought by him, you're enabled for radical things. Jesus says, I've, can't, I've come to seek and to save the lost. You know, all of us at one point or another were completely lost, completely depraved, completely cut off, totally worthy of hell. Does God send people to hell? No, we send ourselves to hell and he allows it to happen. But in a moment, in his seeking of you, he disallowed it. He came to seek and save. He came to live, and he lived the way we should have lived. He sat at the Father's feet every day. He fully devoted himself to him, not just half-hearted religious devotion, which is the best that we can give. He fully devoted himself. He was recalibrated by the Father's words, and therefore walked out holiness, whereas us, We only hear the words of our own fears, our own discontent, our own insecurities. And out of that fruit comes all the perversions and nastiness and stuff that you and I do. But Jesus was pure. He lived the life we should have lived. And and he died the death 
that we should have died in exchange. And because he did that, we can now turn and be enabled through the resurrecting power of the, the Jesus who got up out of the grave on the third day is the same Jesus who resurrects our ability to seek him with full devotion. That's the reason why we can seek God. In a moment like this, it can be so much more than just attending a service on a rainy day. He can do something that shakes nations. He has the power to do what we can't do. He has sought us. And if we would just allow ourselves to be caught and captured, radically reworked, we could truly be seekers of God. If we'd stop and sit I want to be crystal clear about a few things as it leads up to the next few weeks. We're not simply asking you to seek God with how much you're supposed to give to the building drive. That's something that you will ask and God will speak to. But we're asking you to seek God and ask him to radically rework how you relate to him and to others and to money. He can take care of the building stuff. I'm preaching to myself too now, and I'm preaching pretty good. But we're asking for you to stop and to see even just a glimpse of how God radically loves you. He doesn't need you, and yet he loves you. And I love you, and I'm afraid that so many of you are in in similar ways to how I've been all too often, so anxious and worried, so caught up in fear and earthly comfort that if something doesn't radically change, you will waste your life. Because one thing is necessary, and all of us individually will stand before God on a certain day of judgment, and he will proclaim either wasted or well done my good and faithful servant. Now for that latter affirmation to occur when you stand before him on the last day, then you need to stand before him today and say, God, I'm all open for whatever you want to do in my life. I want to have a moment right now. I'm going to ask you all to come up. We're going to take a few more minutes four or five more minutes to sit. Let's all just keep sitting. Just ask God, God, would you do a a work of deeper root in me for greater fruit? Let him define, let him speak to you. Sit and listen to him. And I'm praying that this moment here that we could look back to 30 years from now and say, man, isn't it great that God used a, a, a need we had for a building to do this? And your kids will be like, hey, mommy, how did you know these things? How do you see these things? And you can look back and say, there was a moment where God, God just pivoted my whole life in a moment of seeking him, of full devotion. And he did something miraculous and it started here. This was a seed moment. Now look, I'm praying for a miraculous moment that I don't have the power to manipulate or do anything about but I'm seeking God for, and God is wanting something so much more
than what we could concern ourselves with, than, than prices that pastors worry about? Would you seek him? Now we say here, more Jesus. In this moment, can you just seek him a little bit more and watch him turn that more into more and more and more and more where it just spins gloriously out of control. And all of a sudden, the same old insecurities inside of you that you've been trying to, to get, just, just see what God does. Arguable fact. The more you seek him, the more you tend to find him. So I'm just asking, would you ask God to direct your seeking, to radically rework you in this moment? You can pray with your spouse or your friend next to you or on your knees or sitting, whatever it is. Let's have a moment before God and seek him. And I'll come back up and close.